a, a great message for us. So let's pray for them for a second, okay? Father, we, uh, we thank you for both Greg and Maggie, and uh, we pray your blessing on their lives. And uh, we just receive Maggie as uh, someone you're sending to us to, to bring your word to us today. And you said if we, we welcomed those that you send, we'd welcome you. And so we welcome you here. And uh, use Maggie to, to bring your word and your wisdom to us today. In Christ's name, amen. Hello? Is this on? I had to give him that because my married name is Ryan. So, Maggie Ryan. So, I wanted to make Greg feel better since, yeah, Herman's still my professional name, I guess. Okay, hi. <laughs> um, so, yes. All right. Um, thanks to Mary who did that slide. Uh, John gave me the ability to talk on something I'm passionate about this week. He just said, whatever you're passionate about, you know, and tie it into Jesus. <laughs> so, as you can see, um, it's life. I'm passionate about life. I'm going to move this over, if that's okay, so I can lean. Um, but actually, that sounds kind of funny to say that, that I'm passionate about life, because when you think of that, somebody that's passionate about life, what do you think of? Like, somebody that lives full out, full of gusto, they love their life, their career, their family, their friends, they're the kind of person that when you say, how you doing, Fred? I'm high on life, Bill. <laughs> and that is so not me. <laughs> but I want to be. Um... I'm not that way sometimes, more than not. I, I isolate. I get depressed. I hate getting out of bed in the mornings to face life sometimes. I hate mornings. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think about you, my friends, a lot, but I don't even have the energy or take the time to call and tell you that. And so then I beat myself up about that, and so then I feel worse, and it just, ugh. So I don't feel or look like I'm passionate about life a lot of times. But I want to be. And so I think that's why I love the verse that we're going to talk about today. Because it says I can be. If I don't get caught up in what I'm not, I can be passionate about life. So the verse we're going to talk about today is in the Gospel of John. And it's just one simple verse in John Chapter 10, verse 10. And I think if we can pull it up on the screen. Um, so you can find it in your Bibles, John 10, 10, if you want. But it's just one simple verse, and we're going to uh, see out of all the reasons that Jesus was born in a major and died and went through everything that he did was just for this verse. We're just This verse is going to tell us why. There it is. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it to the full. And there it is, the whole reason that we're celebrating his birth this Christmas. There are other versions of this that say, um, I came so that you might have a rich and satisfying life. Or I came so that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. But bottom line, it's all saying the same thing. The reason he came and was born and died and rose again was 
not just so that we could exist, but so that we could have life and have it to the full, have it abundant. I think of it as fulfilled, but not just filled, filled to overflowing. So if he's promised that, why are so many of us not feeling it? And I'm just assuming that some of you aren't feeling it as much like I was talking about not feeling it. So I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But a couple of things just in this verse stand out to me. I think our default mode is to want more for ourselves, to want more for our lives. And that that in itself is not such a bad thing. But he says there's this thief that works behind the scenes and it tricks us into looking for more in the wrong places. It tells us that we're not enough and so we have to have more to be enough. So in doing that, in looking for the more in all these other wrong places, we miss out on the abundant life that we actually already have. So today I want to talk about how we can spot this thief and um, kind of refine our default mode so that we can find fulfillment in the life we've been given. But i got to stop here and make it clear. Uh, we're not talking about, and I don't think he is either, um, he came so that we could have an abundant lifestyle, right? Big houses and fancy cars and exotic travel. I don't think he came so that we could live like the Kardashians. <laughs> If that's your thing, and, you know, there's not anything wrong with any of those things, but they're not what we're talking about here. I don't think they in themselves bring the fulfillment that Jesus is talking about. So this time of year, about every 10 minutes on a different channel, It's a Wonderful Life is on. Have any of you ever seen that? Hopefully some of you. (laughs) So I'm going to use that example of our friend George Bailey, and if you've never seen it, I'm just going to give it to you in a nutshell what the movie is, and if you have, I'll give you a little refresher. So George Bailey, small-town average Joe guy, grows up with these big dreams, right? He wants to live life. He's going to leave his little small town, go to college, travel, and set the world on fire, right? Unfortunately, his dad dies, and so he has to stay home and take care of... um, his mom and take care of the family business and instead sends his little brother to college and his little brother goes on and lives the life that George had hoped to live. So the movie goes on and George is married and has all these kids and it's all good but I think secretly deep down every now and then he probably gets tweaked seeing the life that his friends and his brother and other people are living that he'd always wanted to live but he does the right thing and he's um, relatively happy. But there comes a point where something happens at work where uh, he's about to lose his job. He's about to go to jail. It's, his uncle makes a mistake, and it's just this disastrous thing. And that is kind of the last straw for George. He wishes he'd never been born. He can't take it anymore. He ends up on this bridge, is going to jump and end his life because he's done. But in true Christmas miracle style, our friend, the uh, angel Clarence, shows up and saves George and says he's able to show George Bailey what his life would look like if he'd never been born. And it is disastrous, like devastating. Uh -uh. In, In his little small town life, just living his life, going about his daily business, he had made such a difference in people's lives that literally thousands of people existed where they wouldn't have even ever been born if George Bailey hadn't been born. 
these little chain reactions all throughout his life made such a huge difference. And so when he sees this, he's just blown away. And he, and he runs home. He asks, he says, I don't want to end my life. I want to do over. I want to go back and live the life I had. This is amazing. And he's just so excited and overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. And what's changed? His circumstances haven't changed. He's still possibly going to jail and he's lost all this money in the family business. And, but he's changed inside. He now knows what a difference he's made in his life. He knows that he matters. He knows that he's important just because he is. And that changes everything. He's got this rich life that he never really knew he had. And I think that's why Jesus came, so that each of us could know that same thing, that we matter, and no matter our circumstances, that we can and, in fact, are making a difference with, even when we don't know it. Because, see, that's how God designed us. And I think that's what really fulfilling life is, making a difference in, in, in other people's lives. And So there's something working against us, though. He says in the very beginning of that verse, there is a thief. That's what Jesus calls us. It's the enemy of our souls who only comes to kill. Our dreams, our peace, our joy, certainly our ability to love others, all the things that bring us life are abhorrent to this thief. See, the desire for a fulfilled life, it's God-given. It's in us. So we know it's possible. We just need to know where to look. And Jesus says it's to him. But the problem comes when the enemy entices us to look elsewhere. And so we're going to spend the remainder of our time on that. I think there are a lot of ways that the thief entices us to look in the wrong places. But the one I'm going to talk about today is comparison. When we look at others, when we look to others, when we compare ourselves... We have this innate tendency to compare ourselves to others, to compare our lives to others, and that can suck the life right out of us. When we compare ourselves to others, it's like we're trying to live someone else's story, and that doesn't work. Whether it's because we're trying to live up to what someone else wants for us, or we're trying to avoid something that we think we are or we aren't, whatever it is, it never works, and we end up missing out on the story that God has designed specifically for us. So this may sound like just another preaching on um, evil, uh, the evils of envy and and jealousy and stuff, and it kind of is, but um, I, I want you to think a little bit more about where this may be hidden in your own life, because this tendency to compare ourselves is sneaky, and it's pervasive, it's subtle, and it's deadly. Do you know what kudzu is? Anybody ever heard of kudzu? It's it's this vine that grows like nobody's business. Um, It's got, like, these pretty flowers, and they smell good, and takes on all these cool shapes, but it 
grows like crazy. It will take over anything in its path. And I'm talking cars, houses, anything. It will grow and cover and bury whatever is immovable in its path, including beautiful old hundred-year-old trees. Eventually, it will block their sunlight and basically kill them, kind of suck the life right out of them. And comparison is like that for us. If we don't get a handle on it, on our own ability, our own tendency to compare, it will take over. And in the end, it will kill. It will at least kill any hope of our experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. So we got to get to the root and we got to yank it out. And I think for a lot of us, possibly the root may be something that Satan has been telling us, our enemy, the thief, has been lying to us since Adam and Eve, telling us that we are not enough. In some way, shape, or form, we're not enough. We're not pretty enough or smart enough or spiritual enough or whatever it is. And so that means we're not a good enough preacher or... I didn't mean that, John. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, not a good enough wife, not a good enough uh, boss, whatever it is, you get the picture. But when we buy into this belief somehow, and again, it's subtle. You may not even realize that this is working in you. But when we buy into this belief, we start wanting to hide whatever parts of ourselves that we don't like. And we become defensive And we see everything, every interaction, every experience as proof that we're not enough somehow, that we're lacking. And so we try harder to do more or to be more, whatever it is that we think will make us enough. Because as we are, we don't measure up. And by the way, the other people who are dealing with maybe the same lie, they see this perfect life that I'm trying to show And so that makes them feel not enough. For example, am I the only one that kind of sometimes feels like a slug when I see my friends' fabulous Facebook lives? (laughs) So, not that Satan made Facebook. Just saying. So, regardless, all while this is going on and he keeps whispering, we keep getting further and further from the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. And we get more and more exhausted and anxious and depressed and so on. Now, certainly there are a lot of reasons for this, for why we may feel some of these things. But when it's based in this belief that we're not enough, no amount of our own doing will change it. No amount, no medication, exercise or eating right, nothing outside of ourselves, nothing will change or fix what we think is wrong inside And that's the scariest thing of all. Because when we get right down to it, we can't escape who we are at our core. When we try to fix it ourselves, we're like hamsters on the wheel, right? We just keep going and nothing changes and we're not getting anywhere, but we just keep getting more tired. Here's the good news, though. There is a Christmas message, and here it is. (laughs) Jesus came to change all of that. He came to give us a way out. Once we've entered that relationship with him, he becomes our core. And there's nothing we can do to change that. Because he's already fixed what we have that we think is wrong inside. He's already taken care of it. Our job is just to allow him to show us that more and more. 
and to grow us into that kind of person that he's already designed us to be. But until we realize that, we'll never fully be at peace and enjoy that abundant life that he offers. I want to give you an example of how this has played out in my own life. I went through two very similar experiences with two very different outcomes. And the first time, the thief was basically choking the life right out of me. The second time, Jesus brought life through me. So I had my first hip replacement in 1986. I was 20-something. Don't do the math. Let's just move on. (laughs) Uh, So I was born with my hip out of whack, basically. That's the medical term. You can look it up. Out of whack. Um, But by this time, by the time I'd had this hip replacement, the first one, I had already had several surgeries, body casts, physical therapy, more than I can remember or care to. But so finally, here it is, 1986, we're just going to replace the whole thing, be done with it. But my femur was, it's that part of your leg here, was broken uh, in the surgery, and the plate that they put on it didn't hold. So six weeks later, I'm back in the hospital for emergency surgery to rebuild that shattered femur and re-replace my hip. So... In order to make sure that it held this time, though, I had to stay completely flat on my back in the hospital for a little over three weeks, like literally not even getting out of bed for a little over three weeks. Do the math. That was not pleasant. I couldn't even go to the bathroom out of bed. Okay. Um, (laughs) So then I'd have this long recuperation time afterward and uh, almost lost my job or I was at risk for it because I was going to be off for so long and my leg would be worse off than when I started. Uh, So let me just step back here and tell you what was going on in my life at that time. I was living in Atlanta and if you saw me from the outside, you might have thought I was that person that was high on life. At least I would hope you did. I worked very hard to make sure you thought that. Uh, I was single, successful, had this great career, lots of friends. I would have called myself a Christian at the time, but really I didn't know Jesus. He was kind of a checklist. So instead, I defined myself by however the world saw me, because that's all I knew how to do. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had no idea how afraid I was that I didn't matter. I knew my family loved me, but I really had no idea why anyone else would care or love me, especially when they could always choose someone better. So I worked really hard to make sure that never happened. My looks, my career, my friends, all these things that I could make sure made me look good and made somebody else want me. So there was always this internal constant threat that it could come crashing down at any minute and I'd end up alone. The only way I could silence my inner critic at that point was to reassure myself that nobody could see how desperate and lonely I was on the inside. Because by gosh, my life looked good on the outside. At least I hoped it did. 
And when that didn't work and I couldn't shut that inner critic up, I could just numb it with alcohol. So here I am now stuck in the hospital, and everything I've built is now at risk. All the ways I'd compared myself and tried to matter, at least I felt like it was all at risk. And so I was scared to death and became kind of a miserable human being. I think Maggie Scrooge. (laughs) Um, So I shut out the guy that I was dating because I was embarrassed of how I looked in the hospital. You know, I couldn't compete with all the beautiful Atlanta southern bells in my hospital gown so I shut him out but then I got mad at him because he didn't fight through it and come visit me anyway (laughs) I'm not important enough for you not to do what I said to do and you know it is true when we're insecure we start seeing all the ways other people don't meet our needs so I got mad at my roommates I was hurt that they didn't visit me enough I was mad at the doctors I was resentful of all the the other patients because they sure got a lot better service from the nurses than I did. So I was mad at the nurses. (laughs) And certainly, I was mad at God. Obviously, he cared about everyone else more than he cared about me because nothing ever worked out. I was jealous, and I was lonely, and I was depressed, and I was hopeless. And gosh, why didn't you come visit me in the hospital? I sound like I was just a peach. But I was, at that point, I was kind of George Bailey at the bridge. But thank God he didn't leave me there. Here's my own Christmas miracle. 20 years later, fast forward 20 years, and I'm back in the hospital for another hip replacement. And it's supposed to be this time, it's supposed to be routine. Because this time, they've refined the surgery so much, hip replacements, that you're in and out of the hospital three days max. It's going to be a breeze. So this time, the surgeon nicks an artery. I almost die. I'm, whatever, long story short, for all kinds of reasons, have to be, again, flat on my back, in the hospital bed for a little over three weeks. Same exact story. And again, this, and this surgery that's going to fix what the last surgery was supposed to fix ends up making it even worse. So it's the exact same story, except this time it was completely different. What's changed? Nothing on the outside, but I've changed. Because this time I know Jesus. By this time, I have this peace that cannot be explained. Even in this awful situation, I've come to, by this time, believe in who I am, just like that song said. I'm loved. That's who I am. And he is God, a good God. That's who he is. And I've come to know this by now. This is how I define myself. So I don't have to compare myself or try to look good, which is nice because after three weeks in the hospital, you know. Um, by now I know that I don't, I, I, I don't have to feel alone. I will never feel alone or be alone ever again. I knew he had a plan for me. And even if my plan would have been way different, I knew that his plan was the story, my story, that he was writing through me. And because I knew him as good, I knew it was good. I knew he would work through it because he cherishes me. And you know what? He did work through it. I can't tell you the number of ways God used me to make a difference in someone else's life during that time. Not the least of which was the nurses 
because this time they would come and hang out in my room before and after their shifts because they felt a peace in there. Literally, that's what they would tell me. It just feels peaceful in here. Whereas I'm pretty sure the nurses in 1986 had to draw straws to see <laughs> who would deal with the you-know-what in room 310. <laughs> but it, as crazy as it sounds, if I could live life feeling like I did during that time, I would say I have more of an abundant life than I would have ever dreamed possible because I felt his presence, I felt his power, I felt his peace over and over and over. Enough to be able to feel joy in all of that situation, in that awful circumstance, but even more to share joy even in all of that. And feeling him work through you to make a difference for someone else, to bring a joy to someone else, that is what's fulfilling. And we can't do that when we're trying to live someone else's story. We can only do it when we live our own story. Even when our story looks bleak or hope or hopeless or messy, he's still in it and he's still working. <laughs> I don't feel this every day. I'll be honest. I forget it a lot of times. Even in um, preparing this for the last however many weeks, it's been pretty brutal. Sorry, Greg. Because um, <laughs> I think I've been uh, comparing myself, worrying about how you think of this or me, because I'm comparing myself to John or Lisa or Steve or Jason. I can't. No, there's no comparison for Jason. <laughs> He's in his own category, isn't he? God love him. <laughs> but so I'm, I'm going through all of that, and here I'm supposed to be preaching on how not to compare ourselves. So it's a process. But he keeps reminding me, and I'm slowly getting it. The more we can fight back against this thief of comparison, the more we can find fulfillment and abundant life in our own lives. And the more we can help each other to do the same. So I'm going to just, I'm going to leave you just with a few practices um, that can help you along in this. And just maybe one of them will stand out to something that you want to start engaging in more and more. First of all, if you haven't yet, start a relationship with Jesus. That's bottom line where we got to start. Because he came to earth and died for us so that we could reconnect with God, our creator, who is writing and wrote our story for us, to connect with him, that vine that gives us life, rather than the vine that chokes life from us. We can have this eternal life of freedom from worry and striving and all of those things, because he's already taken care of it for us. We don't have to prove ourselves in any way to him or anyone else. And the more we feel that, the more we know that, the more we feel that, the deeper the relationship gets. I don't know. So that brings me to number two. We've got to practice his presence. Get to know Jesus. He is alive, and he's active, and he wants to hang out with you. And you know this, but I want to remind you, because he says if we really want to feel life, it's him. So we got to get to know him. Engage with him. 
Practice presence. Practice gratitude. Every time we remember when he's been faithful for us in the past, it changes, literally changes our brain. I felt renewed every time when I was preparing this, going back and thinking about those weeks in the hospital. Every time we reimagine a positive experience where Jesus came through for us, we are literally changing neural pathways in our brain and fighting back against that thief. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind by practicing gratitude. Practice praise. Focus on God, who he is. Whenever, especially when you're feeling less than, look at Jesus because he's in you. So look at who you are. When you look at Jesus, that's who he says you are because he's in us and he is bringing us, developing us into that more and more. Plus it gives us the ability to fight back because we know who's fighting with us and for us. You know, when David went up against Goliath, he didn't look at how big Goliath was. He didn't look at how little he himself felt. He looked at how big God was. So practice praising God. Practice grief. To Jesus and with Jesus. Abundant life does not mean no suffering. He tells us that over and over. There will be pain in this world. But he also tells us that he will overcome. That he has overcome. And that he is overcoming. And so if you have been hurt anywhere. And you're seeing it as proof that God doesn't love you as much as he loves someone else. The thief is lying to you. And God wants to heal that. Whatever you've gone through, it's part of your story, and he's going to work through it. So grieve with him. Practice grieving with Jesus. And finally, practice vulnerability. We're not in this alone. And the more we open up to each other instead of comparing ourselves to each other, the stronger we become as a community and individually. So I want to encourage us all to be honest we got to help each other remember our truth. Remember the truth about who we really are. So we can fight back together. Practice vulnerability. Um, in just a minute, I'm going to... John was praying, and he um, had just a really cool blessing. Kind of a Christmas blessing for each of us that... Um, it we'd like to invite you up for in a little bit. We'll have the prayer team up just praying this Christmas blessing into each of you about this. But before we do that, um, yesterday, you know, I'm a counselor, John said. And yesterday a client sent me a devotional that she, for herself, were working on kind of this whole issue. And she sent me this devotional that she found yesterday and just said, I thought this was really cool. Look what God's speaking to me. And I thought it was really cool and thought, I'm going to let God speak it to all of us. So I want to read it, but I would invite you, if you feel comfortable doing so, just to close your eyes. And, uh, and when I read this, these are God's words to you, to each of us. Just let whatever he needs to say, just let that wash over you through these words. Fear not. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are mine for eternity. Seek to please only me, and you'll have no one and nothing to fear. 
Face your fears. Retrace them to their root in your soul and displace them with my indwelling presence. Erase them with an assurance of my forgiving love. Love yourself as I love you. I have healed your frightened memories. My love casts out fear. You don't have to worry about being inadequate ever again. I am your strength, wisdom, and courage. When others reject you, be sure of my unqualified love for you. Let go of your own control and humbly trust me to guide you each step of the way. You have the gift of imagination to picture and live my best for your life. Don't spend your life worrying. Live your life to the fullest now. You don't need to fear, and you don't need fear to manipulate people anymore. You are free to motivate them with love. And be sure of this. The good work I have begun in you will be completed. You have nothing to fear. I love you. So Jesus came so that we might have life. I pray that this Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, when you celebrate his birth, you're more able to see your own life as one worth celebrating too.